Hey everybody, welcome back to the Game Dev Breakdown Podcast. My name is Todd Mitchell, and I'm alone in the studio tonight, quarantined in fact, because if you listened to the last show, you heard me talk all this smack about not getting sick, and I got sick like that night. So, (laughs) I sound terrible, I feel bad, my energy level is horrible, but we are going to get through this show because I think we got something good that you can use tonight. So this is another show where we'll try to refine and apply knowledge from outside the game industry to help us meet our unique challenges as designers and developers. So the topic is how players learn and how to teach them. There's a guy named Scott H. Young, who's a writer and programmer who specializes in the learning process and just general self-improvement. He delivered a TED Talk about his effort to complete the MIT computer science program in under one year, which he actually later did, and he did it totally alone, which is amazing. <laughs> Imagine that discipline and uh, just just the, the brain power to do that. At his website, which is scotthyoung.com, you can uh, read the article that I took a lot of cues from for this episode. It's called a step-by-step process to teach yourself anything in a fraction of the time. And you can find a link to that article in the show notes at codewriteplay.com. Obviously, Scott isn't writing about game development or game design, but hopefully that's where I come in. So the benefit of a perspective like this is it captures exactly the challenge that's laid out for us in game design, and that's to teach a wide set of skills to players very quickly, which will allow them to play and enjoy the game. We have to sell the player on the idea of learning from us, and we have to present that material in a way that they can identify with. We have to uh, let the player know whether they're learning it correctly or not. We have to test what they've learned, and we have to make sure they retain what they've learned. And that's, that is for a non-educational game. Uh, Flappy fucking bird had to succeed in all of these, those tasks I just mentioned. Uh, except you might argue that it did it badly and that players were no better off afterward. I digress. So let's talk about these tasks and sort of break them down and examine each one. So the first step is to make sure players think it's worthwhile to take the time to learn your game. They've got all kinds of options. They've got a million games they could be playing. Convince them that it's worth taking the time to go through your tutorial, learn your game, and then play it, hopefully, through to the credits. On the small scale, this might mean letting the player know that learning, like, one subset of your combat system will allow them to open the gate to the next area. Uh, whatever. In the big picture, it means selling the player on the idea that mastering this game will lead them to victory, and that that victory will be mind-blowing. Or... Wreck noobs online and look great on Twitch and get a million follow- subscribers on YouTube. Whatever. If you can get players to envision themselves as badasses playing your game and it makes them pick up the controller, then you have done your job. So next, you have to start actually teaching the player. And you have to do it in a way that is flexible. There are a lot of ways to teach a player how to perform some action. And there are things like pause prompts and in-game reminders and flashing button icons, pause menu tabs that expand on, you know, little littler prompts. Digital manuals are uh, sort of not common anymore, but they are awesome and should be included a lot more. And then there are other things that I won't think of while I'm sitting here. 
But so games that only do like one thing to teach players an action are usually hurting themselves by pissing off those players because people focus on different things as they play. And they won't always hone in on one thing that you considered the most important when you were developing the game. Uh, it, it doesn't mean they're playing it badly. It just means that they're playing it with their brain and not your brain inside their head. So uh, if players have a way to go back and relearn something that they missed or uh, go back and review, you might be able to avoid a couple of like mean tweets and bad Steam reviews and the like. So... This brings us to feedback, and I don't mean the feedback I just mentioned, but I mean feedback in the game. Feedback mechanisms make the in-game world go around, both positive and negative things that happen to the player to sort of let them know whether or not they're on the right track. On the side of positive feedback, if a player is performing a task that uh, is going just the way you designed it and they're doing it well, or... Uh, in some cases, if you're making a big open world game, if they are simply walking the right damn direction, uh, it has to be made clear to them. Because, like, nothing is worse than sinking a bunch of time into an open world game and walking the wrong direction, flying or uh, sailing the wrong direction. Uh, I'm thinking of recent games. And you had no idea you were going the wrong way. And in a way, I understand that's what open world means. By all means, let players go the wrong way. But... Tell them. Let them know. So, I mean, freedom good, cluelessness bad. A game where you had no real positive feedback and you just won or did not win after 18 or 24 hours, that would be insane. So, to some degree, this should be common sense. On the side of negative feedback, keep in mind that, yes, if you're playing a game and you take damage or get scolded or you lose a life and the controller vibrates like that feels bad obviously that fires like a negative like ping in your brain needless to say but if your game just lets players get away with doing something badly for the first six hours and then it's going to completely block their progress later in the game needless to say that's a very bad experience for your players so create scenarios very early that require a good understanding of the game skills. Those negative feedback instances are very important and they, they might feel bad, like I said, but they make a game good. Now, the pacing you use while you teach players to play your game is really important. If you feed players gameplay mechanics very slowly, they tend to get reliant on the early stuff and they, then they hesitate to adapt when you want them to do something new. On the other side, if you dump everything on them too fast, it'll overwhelm them and then they might never understand the early material that you wanted them to learn. So it is all about balance. You have to strike up the correct rhythm for most players. Obviously, some there are going to be outliers on both directions, but even those people understand probably a reasonable, typical player goes at about X speed, and that's the speed you need to teach them. Give them what they can handle. Uh, a successful strategy for this uses building blocks. And we're going to steal a little bit of methodology from a friend of mine who was my wife's chief of medicine when she was still a resident physician. A really nice guy. Moved away since, but uh, uh, I consider him a good friend. He said, you learn a medical procedure by seeing one, then doing one, then teaching one. And we can't apply that directly here. But I said it for a good reason. Uh, 
a successful method in games is learning a skill, trying a skill in like a low stakes situation, and then being responsible for that skill right after in conjunction with the rest of your tool set. So uh, think of it this way. How many games start with a basic tutorial where you hear about a button that does a thing and then you walk over to a scarecrow or a test dummy and you practice it on them or you practice a thing on the teacher with a fake sword? A lot of these examples are like hack and slash (laughs) games. That's something I like to play. But then you practice it with the teacher and right about that time, lo and behold, some sickly little low-level enemies show up and shit gets real and then you have to depend on what you just learned. This this thing is horribly overdone, but that's because it works. It follows that strategy to a T and suddenly you know what, what it is because you learned it, you practiced it, and then you had to do it. So once you've taught your players how to play your game, you're still on the hook for making sure they retain the information long enough and reliably. So the most rewarding challenge is going to be something that requires you to put everything you've learned together to sort of conquer the final conflict, whatever that is in your game. Games that just move through phases of actions and leave the early stuff behind, are they're confusing and they're unsatisfying. So you need to find the right rhythm to sort of test players on the early stuff all throughout the game and keep it fresh. Uh, Games that do a great job of teaching skills early will have players that do retain material better throughout, and then they'll be able to use them with uh, much better recall. Naturally, you want to do the right amount of this uh, sort of review-type activity in the game, built right into the campaign or adventure or whatever, but a lot of games are also very successful when they add like a special challenge mode or some kind of um, scenario-based training module system, which is more common than it sounds if you think about it, where players can sort of review and reinforce their skills and then go back to the main game. I, I think of the Batman games when I say that. I forget what they call them, challenges or missions or whatever they are, but it's just these things that tend to emphasize one skill or one type of enemy that's conquered by one type of action. And so a bunch of them tackle you, and you do it, and you get three stars or 20 bats or whatever the hell. I I love those games, but I haven't played them in a long time. What's funny is the Batman games do such a great job of that, that if you look at review sites, despite, despite having a fairly complex control system overall, if you consider all the gadgets and all the things you can do in those games, people complain that it's like, oh, this game is just if you hit A a bunch of times, you win. That's not really true. Um, it, it skews a little bit easier for, for a game like that, and they did that for Mass Appeal, obviously. But it also does a very good job of teaching players what to do, and I think it does a lot of the things we listed in terms of adding stuff to menus and so on. So there are a lot of good examples. Games do do this stuff pretty well. It's not entirely consistent, and on the indie side, a lot of indies do it very well, too. But it's something you should definitely keep in mind if you're a young up-and-comer or you've got a new project on your hands. It's something you should keep fresh in your mind. So since we've reached the end of the steps, let's look back so you can retain these things for yourself. The first step, number one, make sure players think it's worth it to learn your game. Otherwise, what do we have? Number two, let them learn the game their way by adding several methods to learn. So the prompts, 
the flashes, the icons, the screens in the menu system, all that. As many things as you think a player might need to be comfortable. Comfort is key. Number three, include smart, positive, and negative feedback so they know how they're doing. It should not be guesswork. Number four, find the right pace to introduce players to new mechanics. Ease them into it. Number five, find smart ways to review what the player has learned and incorporate everything into the final conflict. Don't drop anything out from early in the game. Let players feel like because they learned all these skills, they put them together and beat the crap out of the final boss or whatever is applicable in your situation. And here's a bonus, but needless to say, talk to your players during development, after launch, all of that. We talk about this all the time. Don't just talk to players directly, but go find their brutally honest feedback in places where they don't really expect you to be looking for it. Find out what players really think. It is never too late to improve the most vital part of your game by adding whether it's one of those prompts one of those icons, you name it, put better instructions in a menu, add a whole new tutorial. It's, it's one of the most important things you can do to avoid a controller getting dropped prematurely. And that's it. Think about how this might apply to your projects. Let me know if it's helpful. Let me know what other great methods developers need to know about. I have been known to pick up feedback like that and pass it along to the audience. So uh, let me know and let me know what you think. If you guys enjoy the Game Dev Breakdown podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes or in the Google Play Store. We routinely put up new YouTube videos and we're active on virtually all social media sites uh, because we picked up Instagram like a week ago. <laughs> the best way to keep up with everything is to visit us on our website. That is CodeWritePlay.com and we will be back next time with John Scheiber and we've got something awesome lined up for the next show. I'm not going to give it away, but it's something that we promised to do probably over a year ago now. So in the meantime, keep dropping us the kind reviews and ratings. We really appreciate it. Tell a friend about the show if you have a friend who's into the kind of stuff we talk about. And we will talk to you soon. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>